Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. My name is Ed Malian, and I am the sports editor of The Independent, and alongside me, uh, who do I have but uh, my two most usual suspects, um, Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer of The Independent, say hello. Hello. And to my left, Jack Pitbrook, a man about London town, who's also, uh, well, he's actually trekked all the way across London and back for us today. Yeah, so I've just been to go and interview West Ham manager Manuel Pellegrini. Well, that sounds interesting, Jack. Tell us about that. So, uh, I spent 31 minutes speaking to Pellegrini at the West Ham training ground, uh, like just outside Romford. Uh, And it was interesting. We talked about his whole career, Argentina, uh, Villarreal, Malaga, Real Madrid, City, how football's changed, his interest away from the game, Raquel May, Isco, Davis Silva. Um, And yeah, I liked him. It's like he... I don't think he comes across well in press conferences when he just gets asked questions about like when will Jack Will should be fit or uh, have you made a statement with this win which he ju- he obviously can't be asked answering but actually spending you know some proper amount of time with him uh, I feel like I know him better and I feel like I got better answers out of him than I would do in a normal press conference situation and that will be on independent.co.uk on Thursday morning, I think. So take a look out. Look forward to it. Uh, he's a deep thinker, which is always... You always like to talk to those people who think about football, who have, have kind of much deeper thoughts and feelings about the game. Even if you don't agree with their processes and stuff, you know, you can have as interesting a conversation with Tony Pulis's football as you as you can with Pep Guardiola on, on some levels. It's just that uh, these are people who think about football in, in different ways. Um, I'm very interested to see what he said about Robert Snodgrass. Where does he rank against Raquel May and and the uh, great playmakers that he's managed? Well, at one point I was asked, I I was I was saying, you know, throughout your career at every club you've been at, you've had one great number ten, like someone you can really build the team around. Uh, and this is almost the first time they haven't had that. And I did actually think about saying about referencing Snodgrass, but it, I thought it'd be such an obvious piss take; it'd be quite <laughs> disrespectful. Um, but I do think that when they, you know, they do have Lanzini and Nasri, and when they, when the two of those guys get fit, then they will have, they will be able to play more in keeping with how Pellegrini wants. Because at the moment, it has been a bit of a slog. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for your uh, efforts going all the way east to come all the way west to see uh, me today tonight. You're obviously at Chelsea versus Manchester United. Yeah, so Miguel and I are going to walk down Stamford Bridge, weather permitting, after this podcast. Um, and where better to start the podcast um, than Chelsea Man United, Miguel? It is the best game of the FA Cup weekend by distance, which has been a, a, a little bit of a damp squib. You know, I think um, Paul Hayward, the chief sports writer of The Telegraph, tweeted yesterday that he didn't mean to disparage, I think he used the term mug off, uh, the FA Cup. But he did feel like this had been a bit like an international break. Um, and having been in the office yesterday for the very, very quiet Sunday of football, I can't help but agree. So <laughs> well, it, was, uh, it was the first day I had a weekend off since the uh, 
since the international break, I think. Yeah, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. No, <laughs> you have a really difficult job, Miguel, and I'm sure the people at home are really sympathetic towards that. Just, you know, uh, just, <laughs> just in relation to... Uh, I know. I know. Um, but, but, but I do I do think the FA Cup almost cannibalised themselves a bit there by putting their, by far, the biggest match on the Monday night just before the Champions League as well. Why do you think... So, why do you <clears> think that? Because... Do they not get better viewing figures on a Monday night than they would on a Sunday afternoon? Maybe, but I think the fact there was so little on this weekend, and also I think crucially, um, there was no Six Nations on, um, meant they'd actually lost they'd lost an opportunity to be the main event. Yeah, yeah. And, were, and today, a lot of the Tories who could have watched the game. Yeah, yeah, basically. Because I, yeah, I did um, some of this yesterday, and, uh, but Martin Samuel did raise a fair point. If you look at every time there's a big rugby international on or some massive event, the Premier League is very strategic about when it puts its main games. So next weekend, there's England-Wales, and yet we've also got United-Liverpool. And they did it with the Ryder Cup. Sky, yeah. Sky did it with the Ryder Cup yeah. specifically because they have the rights for it, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I actually think the FA Cup lost an opportunity in that regard. Because even oh, it's not, Chelsea United isn't an afterthought, but it's, uh, it's we're already into a Champions League week now. And But I suppose maybe reflecting this is the fact that this game is important, not quite for the FA Cup, but more so what it will mean for the futures of Solskjaer and Sarri. Okay, and what do you mean by that? That if Sarri loses another game and goes out of, well, well actually, he got out of his first competition, to be fair, because they've got the League Cup on Sunday, but it would just put, it's just deep in the sense that this is going nowhere. If Solskjaer loses a second game, uh, having just lost his first last week, it will suddenly give that sense that, basically, all the feel-good factor from the first two months of Solskjaer and all the will for United to give him the job, that can evaporate very quickly, and suddenly you'll have it will foster the feeling that the real work actually starts now. Yeah, it seems it seems from what you say that like the sense of a potential momentum shift from United losing at PSG the other night could be like that could really start to set in again if they lose again tonight. That's why it's yeah. so important for them to win to kind of to stop that narrative, to use a forbidden word, from taking hold. Mm. Yeah, completely. Well, I, and if, if they don't win, well, actually, uh, if, if they get knocked out, imagine the build-up to Sunday then, because it's not just about stopping Liverpool to do what they want to do, it's... Uh, well, Solskjaer a fraud after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this, this, this baby-faced fraud, yeah. uh, says Delaney. Is that worse than bald fraud? Uh, well, baby face isn't really an insult, is it? Ba- <laughs> is is, ba- is bald an insult, or is that just a fair description? Of it, 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 when Guardiola suffered any sort of slump over the last two years, it was the go-to phrase. Right, yeah, but uh, answer my question, Miguel. Answer the hard <laughs> questions. Is bald an insult, or is it just a description? Um... It depends on the context. That's a really dangerous road to go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but baby-faced, baby-faced, I don't see as an insult. I think it's uh, maybe a slightly yeah. you know, backhanded compliment, as it were. Uh, and I guess as he gets older, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer uh, cares even less about that. Yeah. Um, do you have any comments on the actual game itself that might unravel in front of your eyes before uh, we move on? Because I don't want to spend a load of time on this, given... By the time some people listen to this, I, uh, I could be proven pretty, completely wrong by the time this is listened to. Uh, I'm expecting quite a low quality game. Maybe could, that could end up being an entertaining game, but Chelsea are just not doing what they're supposed to do in terms of what Terry wants. Maybe they can't. And United are missing two players that have become key for them in Lingard and Martial and taking away a lot of their pace. So it's going to be interesting to see how Solskjaer adapts to that. But What we should actually do is, like, after the game, let's record a 
preview to the game, which can be proven accurate, and then get Ed, that's a good idea, and then get Ed to like put that preview yeah. where we where we, where we predict literally what's happened on the pitch yeah. well, actually, into the, uh, into uh, the uh, podcast. And then uh, everyone who's listens will be like, "Fucking wow!" Um, Miguel and Jack did pretty well again in well, their pre-match yeah, predictions. Well, I, well, I think actually there's going to be space opened up in the 37 minutes just through United's <laughs> use of the left flank, and that's gone. <laughs> Um, I forgot to ask actually uh, you were on um, Sunday Supplement yesterday a popular Sky Sports panel yeah. show um, your, what are the f- your top three insults you received on Twitter I know you usually get a little bit of a splash uh, actually it wasn't too bad this week I, I, got not, I didn't get slagged off my appearance once which no? usually happens quite a lot did you do you pay special attention a bit of no I, had, I don't really search, go search to show, tanning to beds a bit of makeup had, had a look at the kind of uh, no, no no none of that none of that hair Just, looks uh, good today thanks were you wearing your bowling shoes no no I wasn't <laughs> no he was wearing smart shoes they zoomed out he's wearing like brown leather shoes I was like what the hell is, well, that's what usually he's wearing a pair of like crapped out trainers I know I know <laughs> <laughs> so no no good insults um, trying to think someone called me a fraud that was about it. Um, some call me anti-Irish. Anti-Irish, yeah. But that's about the Jay. Actually, that was Famously. someone. <laughs> that, that, that was some lad who uh, he an Irish fellow who had gone on about you know the history of the countries, all of this, and gone on about collusion in Northern Ireland and, and shoot to kill and all this sort of thing. And at the same time, uh, as at the same time as he was absolutely hammering uh, Declan Rice for declaring for England, he was also in a separate tweet uh, criticizing me about a report about Manchester United because he is a Manchester United supporter. Which would feel inconsistent with his uh, very anti-English views. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, while we're talking about Manchester United, uh, there has been a report denied today that there is Saudi interest in taking over the club. It's a moderately interesting story. I mean, because it because it's wider than sport, essentially. As I say, so we I, had. I don't really buy the denial either, to be honest. Okay, so uh, I've written about it moderately. Uh, extensively today because the interesting thing about the denial like you say you you don't necessarily buy the denial Um, as things stand buying Manchester United or or a club of its size a major league sports team of its size in in America or whatever doesn't fit with with Saudi sports investment policy which has mainly been focused around bringing large sporting events uh, to Saudi Arabia a couple of examples the WWE um, which uh, they've paid to bring there the world co- sports entertainment. What's yeah. called the World Series or World Championship of Boxing, which George Groves recently went and fought Callum Smith in Jeddah. The Formula E, which Wayne Rooney was paid to uh, go and watch that race. If you remember, then he, that's the one where he got arrested after that flight back. Mm-hmm. He um, had a little bit too much fun in the first class lounge. Um, so, like they, they're they're bringing sporting events, the Super Copper in Italia. They're bringing sporting events to Saudi Arabia. But thus far, they've not really made any huge sporting investments outside the country. Um, a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours, I guess, um, Nicholas McGeehan, who's a, a researcher in that part of the world, used to work for Human Rights Watch, um, did warn in that piece that basically there is a chance with Mohammed bin Salman consolidating power that things could change quickly because essentially before 2017 there's no way that Saudi Arabia could have centralized power quickly yeah. enough to to undertake what Qatar did with PSG or what Abu Dhabi did with Manchester City but now that that is a far more realistic thing that could happen so it's not their current policy but he suggested that we should not rule out yeah as a, a future thing so that is a story that you should keep an eye on even if at the moment there is an official denial that yeah, those talks have taken it, place. it also feels like that's a little bit of the kind of the final threshold in terms of this whole issue of sports washing and, and you know regimes buying clubs and I suppose the the centrality of sports and geopolitics in that way. Um, 
And ultimately, with a lot of these things, ultimately comes down to thresholds of morality, of acceptance, and even you can't get away from the fact that where money's involved, you're always so way compromised. People in debates like this, people always point to your own country's, you know, record in arms dealing or where iPhones are made, rather. But it's still all about thresholds and and maybe a degree of directness. And I think that would be the case with this because it would, it would ultimately come down to what is probably the regime connected to the West, which has the most deplorable records in these regards, even even worse than UA, buying one of the biggest clubs in the game. Uh, and, and it would pose an interesting moral question, I think, for a lot of fans. I do. I, I remember speaking fairly recently to someone I know who works in, in this area, that is like Saudi investment mm. in sport. And he said that, and I think Miguel's heard this as well separately, that the Saudi investment in Manchester United, which is going to happen, has been delayed in part by the yeah. Jamal Khashoggi murder yeah. because the Saudis have been so criticised over this that they've realised that, in fact, now they've basically got to wait for it to blow over. So to clarify, the, uh, the, the Saudi denial, which came from, I can't remember the guy's name, I really apologise, but it was uh, a government minister in Saudi Arabia tweeted to deny that, uh, the takeover stuff. but said that the, they did meet to discuss some sort of sponsorship deal um, nothing has materialised yet, but we understand that there may be something down the line that comes with that. And from what and from what I've heard, it it's the investment won't be done by the yeah. It won't be done by like Mohammed um, bin Salman himself. Yeah, I heard that. And it well won't be too. done by like the the, their, the Saudi equivalent of Abu Dhabi United Group or or Qatar Sports Investments is more likely to be a minor m- member yeah. of the royal family. Although of course he would be acting with the blessing and and backing of the royal family itself. And if you you need to look no further for that example than across Manchester, where uh, Sheikh Mansour is the brother of the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed. Um, I'm, I'm temporarily an expert on royal families in, in that area because I've been reading about it so much. Um, yeah, Sheikh, so bin Zayed is a very close uh, confidant and, and was described as a mentor to Mohammed bin Salman. Mm. So uh, if you look at essentially what Abu Dhabi have been able to do with the City Football Group uh, th- and their success, I think that someone like Mohammed bin Salman would look at that and think that is a very desirable thing. Um, and their reputational situation, I guess, is far, far worse than the UAE were in 2008 or whenever they were looking to um, invest in the first place in Manchester City. Yeah, the reporting on this is that, and this is something I've heard and has been written elsewhere, is that in fact, uh, Sheikh Mansour is not really so involved now with Manchester City and yeah. MBZ himself has kind of taken the reins on the City project. Uh, I know that there, uh, Sheikh Mansour had some, there was a uh, domestic issue at home in the UAE, which has kind of affected his standing within within domestic politics, and that it is almost kind of MBZ's project itself now. It is. It, we, we actually st- stand back a bit. It is remarkable that we are talking about these issues in relation to sport. Why uh, should I know so much about the cra- the Saudi royal but, family? But it is, I mean, obviously, this is something <laughs> you know. It's a, it's a historical hindsight issue, but I, I still find it amazing that, given what's how central football clubs are as social institutions in in England and around Europe that they weren't more ring fenced against this sort of thing that there was never any sort of protection mm. uh, um, well I, I mean it's kind of interesting actually because I, I sent that piece that I wrote this morning which of course you can read on independent.co.uk slash football um, I sent that to a, a, a contact in football um, who is a United fan and he replied going, yeah, it's interesting. There's just not much United in there because it is all about yeah, Saudi, yeah, you know, yeah, fundamentally, yeah. which is, is the point is uh, I've always been a sports journalist. 
and here I am writing about dynamics of of power shifting in in Emirates yeah. in the Middle East. And, and I mean, know? all right, you, people can point to the fact that Bayern, who are a club, you know, involved in Germany with the fifty plus one rule, um, that they have a lot of dealings with. Uh, with, with some of these regimes, same with Barcelona and Real Madrid, even though they are fan-owned clubs. But yeah, even still, and this comes back to the threshold argument, there's still a level of detachment that is not the case with Manchester City now, it's not the case with PSG, and it's potentially uh, not the case with Manchester United. But Manchester United's situation is bad enough, given they've been brought, bought out by, uh, by a group that other people would see as equally loathsome as any regime, a, a gang of venture capitalists whose only goal is the creation of capital for the purpose of capital, and nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and and before uh, we go wildly into uh, my problem with venture capitalists in, in the media and stuff, it's probably time to move on to the Champions League, <laughs> which is a, a natural consequence yeah. of all of it. <laughs> of course, you know the Champions League, which will be disbanded when the Saudi money and SoftBank decide to cl- uh, start up a new world or European Super League. But anyway, um, before we go into the future, let's uh, delve back into the past and last week's Champions League fixtures, which were uh, pretty interesting, I'm I'm sure we can all agree. The biggest game of the week, we decided, was Manchester United versus PSG, even without uh, future PSG manager Jose Mourinho in charge. Um, I thought, really, that was one of the more surprising results of the week. Uh, Real Madrid probably should have lost to Ajax I thought Ajax were the better team throughout there but they're they you know a controversial goal with the help of VAR Tottenham 3 Dortmund 0 was, very, it was a big impressive. a big impressive result which which we'll talk about in a second but while we're on United let's just skip on to Man United PSG you were there Miguel yeah um what do you think and what does it mean um I did think it was an even game until Manchester United had their two injuries yeah I know I think people could say that this balanced out with the Neymar Cavani injuries in terms of luck or whatever but I didn't think Solskjaer responded to those injuries well whether that's anyway definitive is another issue I, um, I think it just means he didn't respond well it takes away maybe from some of his aura and look we lost him in the game but Ferguson made a lot of missteps in Europe so I wouldn't necessarily hold that against him uh, and ultimately they were beaten by a cannier better side the, the bigger issue is again what we come back to with the Chelsea game and with the Liverpool game which is how United respond in the medium term but to be fair Actually, no, because of United's form, I was slightly maybe seduced into thinking they could beat PSG. And it was, to be fair, I was looking at the Neymar, Cavani injury as well. Um, but a defeat to PSG or a defeat to a better team isn't that damning. But I have to say, it would maybe come around to the idea that maybe at last PSG are somewhere ready. Yeah, I think, because I remember doing this podcast beforehand, and I think we, I think we underestimated how good PSG were. Yeah. Like, one in terms of the individual quality of some of their defensive players, yeah, like Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, really, really good. Uh, they defended very well. They barely let United in at all. Uh, also, the intelligence of Tuchel tactically. Yeah. They had that kind of hybrid system, which I remember they beat Liverpool with in the last, in like, yeah. penultimate game of the group stage, with Marquinhos switching between midfield and defence. And I did think that they, they did look like potential winners. Yeah, like, yeah. But you, you, what you pointed there as well about tactical intelligence, I think that's all the more relevant because of the way so many Spurs players spoke after the Dortmund game. In which, to to a certain degree, Spurs did to Dortmund what PSG did to United, and what both Spurs and, and PSG have had done to them by countless other sides, particularly Barcelona, yeah. Juventus, and it's like, I think this is also relevant to. Atletico Madrid, Juventus on Wednesday, in that you could see with both PSG and Spurs the accumulation of so much Champions League now over the past few years. That they just 
knew how to weather these games. And I, I think it's also, there's a wider team there in that, for, for all the homogenization of top-level football and you know how it's a globalised game, the Champions League itself still has different requirements and th- that, yeah. that you have to kind of step up to. Yeah, if you, I mean, watching Spurs in the Champions League over the last few years, the steady improvement in experience has been so, so obvious. Yeah. From that first year where they looked completely lost and they were taken apart at home by Monaco and I think by Leverkusen. Yeah. All the way through to last year when they beat Real Madrid and Dortmund. Yeah. Then just got mugged by Juve. But even then it was kind of, it came down to the fine details and they were in the game and they were like 25 minutes away from yeah. the quarterfinals to this year where they were in that situation at half time of the Dortmund game where it was completely in the balance. And they were the ones, not Dortmund, yeah, who yeah. managed to to, yeah. to rest the game their way second half. And this is what I wrote my piece about the the morning after. That is such a kind of like uh, emphatic proof of the benefit of learned yeah, experience yeah. over that time. I, I remember someone before last season, before to be fair, they got the result at Real Madrid. Someone connected to Spurs saying to me that it, there's a, there's an argument that Poch's football is perfect for the Premier League because it's so intense but it was actually too intense for Europe because it means it's all a bit too rushed. And obviously that's something that, and I think the Dortmund game proved that as well. It's something they've uh, they've added a few layers to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually funny because at half time in that game, I thought this is going to be just like United mm-hmm. PSG mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that Dortmund are going to take it away from Spurs in the yeah. second half. And yet it was like United PSG, but in like the other way around. It yeah. was Tottenham who were the ones who happened to score at the right time and then took control of the game. And by the end, like Dortmund, who complete Dortmund is a team with not much Champions League experience because this group of players have come together yeah. recently and they've not really been there in the last few years. They've had all sorts of managerial changes. They were the guys who fell away completely in the second half in a way that some people might call Spursy. Yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. Spurs who were going hell for leather at the end yeah. and who basically killed the tie in the last ten yeah. minutes. That, that's why actually I think the Juventus Atletico Madrid game, uh, beyond the, the game itself, it's I think hugely consequential for how this Champions is going to go because it's going to take away. One of the, it's going to really clear the path for someone. It's going to take away one of the canniest teams. And I think if you want to win the Champions League this year over your your domestic league, I think you'd rather get, say, get a Liverpool or a Bayern rather, rather than a Atletico Madrid Juventus. If you're like, yeah, I completely agree with you. If you're okay, if you're City or PSG, mm. so teams who should now be thinking, this is there for us. We can yeah, win it. Yeah. We haven't won it before, but this could be our year. Who are you most worried about? Yeah, who are you most worried about of the remaining teams? If you're City or PSG, well, I suppose it's it's those it's those teams that now see the Champions League as the be all and end all. But Messi really wants for Barca; yeah. he's obsessed with it. Atletico Madrid, it feels like they've gone so close; they have to win it sooner or later. And Simeone obviously wants so much, but then Juventus are exactly the same. Yeah, uh, but, but Bayern will be a similar case, given it's six years since they won it, and the you know there's that boredom of winning the domestic league, even though they're having trouble this year. But then that's also be why. They're not. I think City, yeah. I mean, from a City perspective, and I think the same arguments mm. basically apply for Paris Saint-Germain, I would not be that worried about Bayern. Yeah. I think Bayern yeah. would be quite beatable, but whereas I'd be like, Christ, I really, really don't want Atletico. In, in Please, a w- can somebody else get Atletico? In, in a weird way, then, I think maybe it could be a good time to draw Liverpool because they're so invested in the domestic yeah. title this year. Can, it does that, can they possibly be as, as hyped for a Champions League game this season? Yeah. Because it just because even, I, I, I'm writing like my build-up piece about Tuesday's game and going to, it's actually going to be strange. Usually these games at Anfield, in fact, this is only the fourth in a decade yeah. at Champions League knockout tie at Anfield. And yet, weirdly, it's, it's, this is one of the most unique events in football and it won't feel as seismic as a Liverpool League game at the moment because there's just so much invested in, in the league. There's a, the interesting thing, you know, you've talked when you talk about Liverpool and this uh, pursuit of the Champions League, pursuit of, of the Premier League more so, uh, we talked about emotion. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, in the Joshua Kimmich interview that I wrote, which you can read uh, on on the website this week, Kimmich reveals that he's a very emotional guy, you know, and a uh, suggestion from uh, Oliver Brown, who was also doing the interview for The Telegraph, this was a very, un, perhaps un-German. Mm-hmm. Germans, we consider them calm and uh, unemotional, all these things. And Kimmich rightly points out, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not unemotional. I know lots of Germans that aren't. Like In many yeah. ways, we see the English as calm and unemotional. And uh, when you talked about Guardiola, uh, all of the stuff he said about Guardiola is is about the emotional stuff that Guardiola mm. brings. And there's a, that video of him shouting at Kimmich in the centre yeah. circle. And then when he talks about Klopp, you know, he's full of praise for Klopp because he says like that Klopp has this emotional thing around him which gets the best out of players. Like there's, He said um, there's no player in the world he wouldn't make better, mm. which I think is a really big and important statement for a player like, you know, a Bayern yeah, Munich yeah, player yeah. to say that about the Liverpool ma- the Liverpool manager. And I don't think this it's is... Especially some- when Simon Hughes has written today for us that... Uh, Bayern Munich stand against everything Klopp stands for. <laughs> yeah, well, because but the thing is, in many ways, and Sam Wallace wrote a good uh, column in the Sunday Telegraph this week about a similar sort of thing. I think I saw Jack reading it at the desk earlier on. And, you know, that's about, you know, Bayern uh, are a club that really is stubborn to change. They've got a lot of old guys, um, like former players and stuff in the senior positions. They don't like moving things around. You know, they've, got, they've had the same investors for years and all this sort of stuff. They're not keen to change their way of doing business essentially and, and I think Sai in his piece again which you can read on the website is correct that Klopp doesn't necessarily fit with what they do mm. but I think it's it's really interesting that if Klopp becomes just the, one of you know I mean he's already one of the best coaches in the world right yeah. if he becomes the outstanding German coach and Bayern decide to make a change how long do they continue saying well you know considering what Klopp's done to transform an already great club in Liverpool you know, a club that's won five Champions Leagues. Why not, you know, why not change things a little? Why not make some allowances that potentially would make, you know, clubs that want to come to Bayern? You're really committing to come to Bayern. I just think down the line, there's going to be that what-if moment with those two parties. And, and, you know, it might not come soon. It might come in five years' time. But it's an interesting thing because Jurgen Klopp, I, I, it looks set to be... You're not going to lose that emotional intelligence that he has. And I think that's one of his great strengths. I, I was actually thinking this in relation to um, the Champions League and, and, and my, my, my preview for tomorrow night in that <laughs> this is actually a pretty weighty season for Klopp because... And <laughs> to a degree, it's true. It's not true. It's a, In fact, he could be a victim of his own success in a way, in the way he's lifted two clubs so much. But for him, if he finishes second in the league after finishing runner-up in the Champions League and this recent series of defeated finals, even though it's always been against a wealthier club, it it does feel a bit of a kind of a, a landmark season in that way, in terms of maybe... maybe he, yeah, he, but he has won stuff before. Of, co- of course, yeah. The difference but I think, it, between it, it, how it, he's perceived and how Sarri and Pochettino it, are perceived in, in, in the words back-to-back Bundesliga. In the right. words of Jose Mourinho, that was when, that was when Bayern were shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's interesting to see what would happen. Do you think it would like? Do you think it would be held against him if, um, if, he, if he left Liverpool without winning anything? Because it's very plausible they could have like, you know, second in the Prem, sec, you know, like deep in the Champions yeah. League. I actually think that the further they go into the Champions League, the less likely they are to win the yeah. Prem. And that that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Like, what if they beat Bayern and then if, it if, all if, collapses in like April? If they get close, then. Logically, it shouldn't be held against him, but emotionally it will because it's ultimately seen as going close. And I, I think that's maybe the problem of, and again, it comes back to this issue we're talking about about 
the wealth of the game and its place in, in geopolitics, but it's just a consequence of what football is right now. And Simeone arguably suffers with the same thing, although he has had that what now, frankly, seems uh, yeah, alchemic uh, feat yeah, with, with yeah. Atletico Madrid. But by making Atletico Madrid better, by basically put, taking the levels far above where they should be, he's actually made them suffer all the more exquisitely because they've they've lost two Champions League finals. Yeah, games yeah, they probably yeah. should never have been in, but they've lost them in the worst possible way. And it means it unfairly has them pegged as kind of you know still still just losers, even though getting that far when you take in when you take everything into account is undeniably a success. And Klopp, I think, is suffering. We're well, not suffering, but there's a there's a similar sort of dynamic there right now. Yeah, completely. It would be interesting. I, that would be a great final, wouldn't it? Liverpool at that time. Yeah. Or just what I'd like to see is like a final with two two teams who are kind of outside of the absolute top of yeah that's like i remember in 2017 i mean it's funny isn't it how like the the finances are so stratified that even a team as rich as juventus yeah as powerful as juventus could look like a sort of relative underdog yeah completely but even like you would want say it take if you took real madrid barcelona uh bayern maybe psg and city out of it and then you're kind of left with the teams who have massively overachieved just to be there whether it's atletico liverpool Tottenham, yeah. dortmund that level of team. You know, there probably hasn't been a truly evenly matched final since... I mean, actually, you could argue 2014 because Atletico Madrid went into as champions, but I would argue that actually made it <laughs> all the more... It kind of weirdly flipped it then because it made it more important for Real Madrid to win and bring all their, their force to bear. Um, but maybe in terms of size of the club and form... Because 15, 16, 17, 18 have all been the s- yeah. same, haven't they? They've been Real Madrid or Barca against and a team who's been stretching every sinew to get there and just losing. Yeah, the yeah. And then 2013 was Bayern against Dortmund. Bayern on route to winning a treble. Left Dortmund. For, uh, Dortmund, you didn't see for, for dust. Um, 2012, 2012, Chelsea, Bayern, actually, maybe. But, but that it, was kind of weird, wasn't it? Because it was like a not a Chelsea team who'd almost fluked their way actually, there. Actually, and it was also a Bayern team who, bo- who bottled everything that season. Yeah, yeah. Um, they finished second in every tournament. Uh, like maybe the last big one in that sense was actually 2009 United and it's often forgotten now how heavy United were as favourites before pacing yeah. Pep Guardiola before then Pep Guardiola yeah, essentially yeah. made history through that match yeah so I think that's what we all want this year isn't it it's an evenly matched Champions League final like when we I remember tweeting last what, year Spurs Roma no, like Atletico, Ju- Atletico Juve would be a great final. Great, I tweeted yeah, yeah. that before the semis or quarters last year that that was, that was kind of the dream game, but it's not what we got in the end because Atletico lost. I bet on Atletico to win it every year and they always let me down, but I still have this belief that they are um, just a very good knockout team. You know, I the teams that they come up against, they always seem to get the tough draws and they always seem to get the biggest sides, but I believe that they can beat literally any team in the Champions League at any point, which is do you think kind they, of important. Do you think Pep would be terrified of getting them? Yes, yes. After what after what he did to him um, in the 2015-16 season, yeah, yeah. They, um, I mean, Pep will trust that process and he'll tr- try and do the same thing that he did before, of course, because, you know, that's the only way he knows. But I think that Simeone was brought into Atletico to knock Barca and Madrid off, off mm. their perch and and he knocked Pep Guardiola's football off his perch before anyone else did yeah well, well yeah, he was he, I mean it's amazing thing now because we're saying about Klopp he was brought in to basically <laughs> fix right, it's to, to save him from relegation to, to fix the most dysfunctional club in Europe probably and look what he's done um, but actually that, that, that Barca sorry that Bayern Atletico Madrid game in 2015-16 I think that was another case of where the semi-final was almost the true final in terms of the quality of the game 
It was the, one of the best ties of football yeah. I've ever watched. Personally, I was at, like, it, I was at both legs, and it was just an absolute like honor yeah. because you were watching it, and it was the best attacking team in the world at the time against the best defensive team in the world, and it was just that pure under like bright, bright lights in yeah. a great, great stadiums. Uh, well, I mean, the Calderon is great for a different reason to yeah. to the Allianz, but it was just just brilliant football. And I think that if we could see. Atletico City or something like that along the line. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, any more points you'd like to make? Uh, did you did you see Ajax Real Madrid? I doubt you did. No, I was at. Um, I'm only selling goals. I was at Tottenham Dortmund. Dortmund of course you were. Yeah. So Ajax Real Madrid. Um, Real Madrid went two one away from home. That probably means that they're through. But they did not look good. Ajax. Exciting side. It's a shame that this is where their Champions League journey probably ends with this crop of youngsters. So, Solari's in the in the Solskjaer situation now. Basically, he's he's. Against all expectation, he's well. He surpassed expectation, and now just just as it gets to the point where it seems there is, there is chatter and he could get to the job. I've so got no th- interest. In, <laughs> I've got no interest in seeing Solari take over at Real Madrid. Like that would be the most dull appointment. It's not going to get them where they want to be. If they're going to do what we think they're going to do this summer, then they need. Who would you want them to get? I don't have. I mean, look, I, like I don't have a rooting interest when it comes to Real Madrid. Um, I just. I mean, you've seen Solari. Like he's, he, you've seen Solari's team. But I just don't think they're that good. Are Madrid a club though that need a patsy as a manager? Yeah, I don't even think. I, I wouldn't even have him as a patsy. I don't. It's hard to describe. I, I mean, they've got my legend like Rafa doesn't work there. He's too much yeah. of a legend to be a good Real Madrid Ra- manager. Rafa was a legend, and they should have told him when they sacked him rather than letting him find out on TV. Um, Tottenham <laughs> three, Dortmund nil. We talked about Man United nil, PSG two. Pogba, of course, missing the second leg as well after that red card. And uh, this wonder kid that uh, we've heard a bit about, Nicolas Agnolo, scored both goals for Roma as they beat Porto 2-1, which brings us to this week. And Liverpool-Bayern, which we've talked about, you know, to a, a fair amount of length. Unfortunately, there's quite a few injuries around this game. Um, Firmino's missed training, but might be fit to play. The biggest issue, though, Virgil van Dijk's suspension and Dejan Lovren being injured mean that the, the centre-back partnership is going to be Fabinho, I think, and Joel Matic. Yeah, wow. And of course, they're still missing Joe Gomez, who started the season so well, but has got injured and has missed the last few months. So potentially, you know, if Firmino, Van Dyke, Lovren, Gomez are all out, this is going to need to be a hell of a Liverpool performance to keep out, not a vintage Bayern team, but, you know, still a very talented Bayern team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen much. Of, I mean, you've certainly seen much more of Bayern this year than I have. Uh, do you think they're, I mean, are they doing so badly in Bundesliga that this is now their priority for the season? Or do you think they can still reign in Dortmund? Oh, no, they're, I mean, they're not far off now. Uh, they beat Augsburg at the weekend. They went within uh, two points of Dortmund, I think. But Dortmund had a game in hand. Uh, I need to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, and they're, they're, they're well in the mix for, for the league. They have got better. They've certainly got better in the second half of this season. Um, I think we'll see less of, of Ribery and Robin even less of them going forward. Uh, when they, they look better when they play Coman and Nabry on the wings or, or um, Alfonso Davis, who's arrived from um, Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, they've got a kind of a better centre-back partnership with uh, Nicolas Schuller and, and Mats Hummels over Jerome Boateng, who, who doesn't look right. Manuel Neuer has gone downhill. That's one thing. Since that injury, um, he, he is not a good goalkeeper like he was before. I mean, he's obviously still a good goalkeeper, but he was an elite, like the best goalkeeper in the world. He's not the best goalkeeper in the world anymore. And it's not even close. He's, he's just not at that top level. Um, and I just think they've just got a few... They left the rebuild one year too long in terms of 
they're trying to get rid of some old guys and bring in some new guys. And I think we'll see next year they're going to have a fearsome sort of team. If they bring in like Benjamin Pavard and get rid of Rafinha, if they bring in uh, Hudson Odoi for someone like Robin, you know, all of these are younger and better players, I think, right now. So that'll be interesting. This year is a bonus. Niko Kovac does not convince me at all as a coach. I really like Leon Goretzka in midfield for them. I think he's their most important player in the centre of the park. Um, and I do actually think they might get a result at Anfield, even if it's just a one-all draw, because because I'm worried about uh, that defence for Liverpool. You know, I think Liverpool's whole club, the whole club really changed for me in terms of a potential Premier League winner when Virgil van Dijk arrived. And if he's not there, and Lovren's not there, who's an experienced defender, even if he's prone to the occasional clangor, Fabinho and Joel Matip have got to have a huge game. Uh, and under the biggest lights, the brightest, brightest of, of focus, you, you're up against some good players. You know, Robert Lewandowski, Hamas Rodriguez, uh, Muller's suspended, I think, for that kick in the head. Um, but players I've talked about, Nabry and Coman, Thiago is, is a handful. Uh, Goretzka arrives from midfield. So I think Bayern could get something. And I think if they score at Anfield, then I, I think they're in good shape. But you're always worried about Liverpool going to the Alliance and then springing them on the counter, I guess. What, what about you guys? I mean, do you have any any real thoughts on this one? Um, not really, no. Um, it's, 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 it's just a strange game. And that for Liverpool, Liverpool are all about the league. It's, it's, yeah. that, that's what it comes down to. It's not what Klopp said today in yeah. his press conference. Yeah. And Leon Barca. Uh, Leon, got interesting I, young team. Uh, I'm slightly worried for Barca. You, you think? I saw, Leon, I saw Leon in the... In November, I went yeah. to. I went there, and they drew. Two, I can't remember. They, they. I remember they played pretty well. Yeah, yeah. two all against City. They I were really when good they, when they beat City. Yeah, they were quick. They were muscular. They were clever. They were flexible. Cornet was good, and uh, Ndombele and Fekir and mm. Awa. They were like really, really but, impressive. Team. But and I'll just start on the other side of it. Barca were unconvincing at the weekend. Messi suddenly doesn't look fully fit. What's happened fit. to Messi? I think just a bit of a fitness issue. But what's curious is that, or what's maybe concerning is that. This is actually a bit of a pattern with Barca now. They haven't been beyond the quarterfinals since 2015, since they last won it. And I, I do wonder whether this comes back to their training schedule and that they try and program it so they're at their best form from March to May, but it means there's a slump in February. And it's something that happened in Guardiola's time as well. But And the risk is then that it could put them out of the Champions League before they feel the full benefits of... The, of, of the way they're programmed. I mean, I mean, twice they almost went out to Arsenal under uh, <laughs> under yeah, Guardiola. We were talking off air earlier about how um, 2015-16 season, the season after they won the Champions League when they still had Neymar, and they were incredible for the first half of the season. They looked even better than they had done the previous year. And then basically they just massively tailed off out of nowhere and the whole season unravelled in a few days in March. Yeah, October, November, they were pretty much just the best team in Europe and it wasn't even close. But that's not when it matters, really. You know, you, you want to do what Liverpool did last year, which is kind of really sprint down through spring. I know it fell apart at the last moment, but, um, you know, you can blame Sergio Ramos or whoever you want for that. Uh, and let's go Madrid-Juve. I think we know that's just going to be just an absolute blockbuster. You're going out yep. to... The, I'm, I'm first leg, Johnny's second leg, is he? The Metropolitano for that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. First, so, first trip to the Wanda. Have you never been in? No. Oh, it's good. Um, we did Calderon a few times, not the Wanda. I mean, it's it's nothing like the Calderon. I mean, the Calderon is a proper mm. great football stadium. This is an out of town, like spaceship. You know, a bit like the new Leon Ground. You if can you've see it near the airport, can't you? Yeah, you know. So it's it's more at that side of Madrid, and it's um, 
you know, it's nice and new and stuff. But I mean, when I went, I went to their first Champions League game there against Chelsea and it wasn't finished. So I can't give you a, a full debrief okay. because I'm sure the facilities will be better now. And Schalke Man City, Jack, you're going out to Germany uh, for the Leroy Sané Classico. Um, is there much to say about this? Should City be scared of Schalke? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think Schalke are very good. They're having a pretty poor season in the Bundesliga. Um, it's, I don't know, this time last year I went to Basel for the Champions League last 16 first leg and kind of wrote a piece saying, oh, you know, City got to be careful because this is when it gets really serious and this is like, Pep knows how good the teams are and his record in Europe away yeah. is not so good. And then City were like falling up after 20 minutes. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a similar thing yeah. this time. I think with, with City at the moment, it just feels like they've got all this momentum building to be there in March or April when the real trophies are on the line. And I think it's tomorrow feels more, sorry, Tuesday, sorry, Wednesday, feels more like a game they just have to get through. Get yeah. through, win, move on to the next one. This is a weird one, actually, and it's almost worth a piece, but Schalke are actually quite a strange club. And it was, in fact, it was put to me yesterday, almost a bit like Newcastle, in that they're massive in their own city and carry their weight in their own, in their own league. But yet they don't, ha- and like they're, they're actually one of the most successful German clubs. I think they've got, they're, they're fourth, I think, on the list of all-time champions. Um, and yet they, they not, they've done, never done anything internationally. They're, uh, they're, they're my, my my only memory of them in Europe is them uh, getting thumped by Man United in the 2011 yeah. semis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, rather than like anything, and obviously it's a cool achievement they got to the semis in the first place. But I remember watching them thinking, "This is the worst semi I've ever seen." It's yeah. all United. They're, they're, they're essentially the Newcastle of um, yeah. of of Germany, but with more with more titles. Cool achievement, bros. Um, actually, just got a message from Jonathan Lucci, sports writer of the Independent saying uh, he can't wait to come back on the podcast. Looking forward to chatting absolute nonsense with you guys again soon. Uh, so that also answers the question. Sch- Schalke have one title less than Dortmund. I was talking about Johnny, not Schalke. Sorry. Go away. Yeah, Schalke. Could, 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 could no, I'm afraid to say I've got more Schalke chat. Mm. Oh my God, I don't know there's more Schalke chat. Uh, yeah. I have interviewed Nabil Bentaleb, formerly of Tottenham, mm-hmm. uh, kind of one-time wonder kid in the Tottenham yeah. midfield, but who fell out with Pochi in a big way, got bummed out, has been at Schalke for the last few years. Uh, I spoke to him the other day, and you can read that interview on our website tomorrow morning. Quick trivia quiz before we go. Who are Germany's most success, second most successful club after Bayern in terms of titles? Borussia Mönchengladbach. Hamburg. Oh, shut up. It's m- Hamburg. Nope. Uh, uh, Kaiserslautern. You, you won't get it. Genuinely. Uh, Stuttgart. No. Uh, are they still a functional club? Yep. In fact, they're in the, they're in the Bundesliga now. In that case... Let's go for Hertha Berlin. No. Um, Freiburg. No. Nuremberg. The, the, Nuremberg. Well done. Nuremberg. I mean, uh, g- 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 <laughs> given when they won their titles. 11th time lucky. They won the titles in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, and they won two in the 60s. The, the wrong word could lead to a very tasteless yes, joke there. So maybe we'll leave it, it on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I thought I'd be glad back. Um, okay. So that's the Champions League preview. And review all in hand, as I said uh, before they talked about Schalke across me. Um, I was just saying <laughs> how we can't wait to have Johnny back in the room, and he can't wait to be back in the room either. Very good. He is back from the Caribbean, where he had a lovely time writing what about cricket. Um, and uh, hopefully you guys have been reading that. But anyway, he's back in the country, just having a couple of days off with his family, and then he'll be back in the mix. Um, just a quick reminder to you, as always... To join Independent Minds, the new subscription service from the Independent that gives you access to exclusive articles, events, ebooks, and a new app, all with no advertising. Subscribe today for just 15p a day. Visit independent.co.uk slash podcast to find out more. Uh, as ever as well, 
you know, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That helps us in uh, all manner of ways. Or you can tweet us um, complaining about the sound quality, uh, <laughs> which is another favorite, uh, <laughs> another favorite activity of many listeners. So uh, that's fine. Uh, we will be back next Monday. Is it next Monday normal? Is it a normal Monday? Uh, yes, it is actually. Yes, yeah, so that's Champions be League next week. Champions League review. We'll be looking back at Liverpool Man United, which is a massive game if you don't mind. We'll be looking back at the Carabao Cup final, which is a massive game if you don't mind. And we'll all be sat here having fun and advertising for whoever you want. So if you're a sponsor, get in touch. If not, I've been Ed Malian. This has been the Indie Football Podcast. Goodbye. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST.